0: We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey, now. Oh, boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did.
1: <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other way?
0: When are these days? Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly it. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening.
2: Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? I've been worse. Uh, you don't sound like you've been a lot worse. Are you? You're, you're a I've, little oh, under the weather.
1: <laughs> I've I've been a lot worse. Also, I'm going to New York next month, so I'm excited.
2: Woo! That should be fun. So you're going to Tribeca. Yeah. And then later in the summer, I'm hitting uh Comic Con theoretically. Yeah. Uh, so lots of fun stuff going for uh for I guess conventions and festivals and all that good stuff. And then of course uh, South by Southwest is going right now.
1: Yes. Yeah, we are covering that down in Austin and. Uh, lots of interviews and reviews and stuff going up.
2: Yeah, I keep seeing the tweets about it and getting jealous. Like, we know I'm a scaredy cat, but I want to see Kevin in the Woods so much.
1: <laughs> so. Oh, right, you Weedenhead or Ye- Weed Knights? Is that what you're called?
2: Yeah, I think. Yeah,
1: you something think, like that. You think you jerks would have come up with something you know cleverer than that? Weed Nistas?
2: something like that. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> anyways uh we have an, a nice week of tv to talk about this week um so a, a few things are a little different we have justified back in the spotlight which kind of feels right
1: doesn't it it's like having your badge <laughs> on Yes, it's, it's the right place for it to be
2: it's the right place for it to be um and then of course we got to talk with robert k elder uh, about jim henson henson's the storyteller so that's coming later in the dvd shelf and that was really cool it was so much fun so that's that's coming up at the end of the show um Let's see we have a, we got a new, new rating on iTunes, so thank you very much. whoever left that uh be like them and leave us uh ratings and reviews and uh our our rating is down to four and a half stars it was at five, so I'm a little disappointed by that but i I think either we need to bring up our game or people need to send us some Lower constructive, their standards. send us some constructive feedback so we know you know why we're Lower not getting five your star standards. reviews
1: we're it's not gonna get fixed this is. It is what it is. This is this it is what it is, all right? Accept it, move on. Uh, oh, give job. us five stars
2: But no no we do seriously we do very much appreciate People taking the time so thank you whoever You are uh, for for going and, and leaving Us a rating um, now we have So like you said we have some rate, uh, Reviews going up or articles at, at um With uh, South by Southwest It's also Hitchcock month right now so there's Lots of fun stuff going on with that I need to, to, to send out a mea culpa though because Mea culpa because I said last episode that I was going to Put up my cops and doctors and lawyers um, article, a like procedurals article. And then it didn't happen. And that's my bad. And the reason that happened was that I was I got all my data ready to go. I, I made up my graphs and I started writing my article. And I, you know there's some interesting trends and things so, that I was going to talk about. And then I was looking through my data set and I realized I didn't have Castle, which is a procedurals on the air right now that I like to watch, and I know some of our listeners like to watch, and so that it occurred to me, if I didn't even have a show that's on the air right now, perhaps I needed to reinvestigate my data set. So I I spent the second half of the week combing through some more sites, and I found a solid like 30 more shows that I had been missing that should have been in my data pool. So now I have that, and this week I should have my article out. I have... I have all my graphs done, I have charts, I have it all ready to go, so theoretically, unless I discover that I'm missing something, which I have 260 shows, so I don't know how I'm missing something, but if I am, I might have to redo this, but I think it should be good to go this week.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. A likely story. (laughs) We'll see. I'll believe it when I see it.
2: Yeah, we'll see what we'll see what happens. But uh I'm going to do my best to get that out and thank you guys for for some of your tweets about that. I got some fun tweets about like D South and some other shows. Um that was fun talking with you guys. Also lots to talk about Lost on Twitter cuz we just started re-watching that, or I started re-watching some of that. You're watching it for the first time, but we're going to talk about that at some point in the DVD shelf, so uh, not not for the moment, but thank you guys so much for your, your comments to me, because I was trying to think of which episodes I should re because there's so many. Um, so yeah, so the, thank you guys so much for your feedback, and uh, yeah, we, I think we have a good episode coming this week. Um, should we get into this thing?
1: Yeah, let's do this. Let's
2: do this. Okay, so I'm going to start with uh, a roundup of the shows that only I watched. Um, first of all, we had Cougar Town, which was Full Moon Fever. And the reason I'm mentioning it is that I, I continue to enjoy Cougar Town, but I really like they're bringing Sarah Chalk in as a love interest for one of the characters. and I think she really fits well with the humor and of the show, and I look forward to watching her get added in and seeing how... Hopefully that that will last for a while, so seeing how she she melds with the group should be fun. I also really like the way that they went with Lori's Twitter boyfriend in this episode, and I thought it had a lot more grace than I was expecting. A story about Lori sending naked pictures of herself to a soldier in Afghanistan, Uh, so that that was nice. Then we had Happy Endings, The Kirkovich Way, which featured Crazy Jane and a movie, Scavenger Hunt, about Chicago, uh so clearly this was an episode right up my alley. I really enjoyed it and I like the flashbacks to, to to Russia, I guess, which was fun. Um I also like how they went went around the Dave and Alex thing. So hopefully that's all good and we're gonna move on from there. Then on Wednesday, Psych here's Lassie, which was, if you couldn't tell, the uh the the shining episode. So that was a lot of fun. Um it the thing about psych is I mean, yes, they have this o- overarching thing this season about Sean deciding if he's going to propose to Juliet, but th- they really are a procedural show, and I enjoy, I- you know what you're going to get with Psych, and for me, that's fun, and I really in- enjoy their episodes, and just watching Tim Omenson just go to town being Crazy Lassiter was was so much fun, and I really enjoy the creativity of all the crew, like the set design and And all of that. So, another fun episode from Psych, and I'm enjoying having that on my Wednesdays. Then, on Friday, Grimm had Plumed Serpent, which was their dragon episode, and um, I'm mentioning it because I think it's one of the best standalones they've done so far. I mean, theoretically, it's a standalone. We'll see if they bring the, the dragon character back. But I, I think they're doing a really good job of developing particularly Juliet and her relationship with uh, with Nick. So that's going pretty well. And Bitsy Tulloch is always really good, as, as, of course, is Silas Weir, who's still the standout amongst the entire cast. But it was, it was a good episode this week, and it worked well. So I'm looking forward to, to that a bit more than I was before. Then on Saturday, we had Game Change, which is, of course, the 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 movie on HBO about the 2008 election, uh, f- focusing very much on Sarah Palin and her role within the Mac- Mac- McCain campaign. And uh, just a couple things about this. It's not as good as Recount. I was hoping it would be a little better. I really enjoyed Recount. Uh, of course, this is from the same writer, writer and director uh, as that. Uh, but the thing was that Recount showed you things you didn't already know. It was really interesting because I didn't know all this stuff about the the recount in, in Florida. Whereas in in Game Change, a lot of what we see is th- are things that we already saw during the election or things that we could pretty easily intuit were happening behind the scenes. Um, there were some really good performances, though. I think, actually, most of the cast was really good. I really enjoyed Sarah Paulson. I think this is... I haven't seen Martha Marcy May Marlene yet, but I think this is the thing that I've most enjoyed watching her in. So she was really good. Um, Julianne Moore is fantastic as Sarah Palin. She really hits the nail on the head. She it was it was a fantastic performance. I thought. Um, But just and Woody Harrelson was great and Ed Harris. Um, But there's just only so much you can do when the script is isn't as interesting. So, what good performances, good makeup, good set design, good costuming and all of that, but I was hoping to to find out more than just stuff we kind of already knew. Then there was, on Monday, Lo- uh, Lost Girl, Fade, which was another, you know, nice little world-building episode for for them. Um, we found some nice stuff out about Trick, which was pretty fun. And we got to see Kenzie do a little bit more and really be involved. So that was nice. I like that they, they just keep adding interesting elements to their world and and they're just so smart about how they handle it without uh, having it just get too serious or, or too uh, too far from the, the established tone of the series. So they're doing a good job there. Then finally, The Voice, you didn't get to the Battle Rounds this week. Um, This was the second week of Battle Rounds, and I would say that in general they were better this week. The, the performances uh, were better. Of course, because you, you didn't have anything like ironic. Um, Though they did do a Nirvana song, and I did a heart shaped box and it was just kind of weird. Um I don't know why they chose that, but uh, I mean they the, the singers did a good job with it, but it was just kind of kind of strange. Um the 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 average was, was better, but the there weren't any of the heights, I don't think, that they had uh um last week. Maybe two of Christina's singers did Chain of Fools. I guess maybe that would be the strongest performance this week, but and we'll see what happens next week. There's only two more rounds left, and then we get to the the live uh, performances. So I I look forward to seeing what happens there. But it's just, it's still nice to watch a reality singing competition show where all the singers, for the most part, are good. So I'm still enjoying The Voice quite a bit. But uh, that's that's all of uh, my TV. Let's uh, let's bring you into this conversation. Um, go back to Tuesday and New Girl. What did you think of this one?
1: I heard good things about this one in advance. I thought it was okay. I mean, I, I think the problem for me is it's relying on a very familiar trope of, you know, the character who gets a cancer scare or whatever, or, you know, whatever. In this case, it actually is a cancer scare. And of course, it's never, ever true unless it's Archer, <laughs> and um, which kudos for that. And but you know it's really actually just an excuse for self reflection and for all the characters to take a moment and take stock of their lives and in that sense you know it's in when you put aside the fact that you've seen it a hundred times before it's reasonably well done and uh, you know it's a it's a fairly competent ex, you know, I can't get too excited about it but it's it's you know it's reasonably well done for what it is what did you think
2: um, I thought that yeah like like you it's the the very common the sitcom takes a week away and gets serious um, while still having some humor in there. It
1: was a very special episode.
2: It was a very special episode. And the thing for me is even while I was watching it, I was feeling a little uneasy about it uh, because it's a good episode and I I did enjoy the episode. But if we don't have the characters grow and change because of this experience, then this feels really manipulative and exploitative and it feels like a cheat um, So for me, the biggest thing is that I want to see new, uh, continuing a growth from Nick because of his revelations this week. And I like the depth we got for Cece, but I want to see that continue to be at least relevant to what's going on. Otherwise, I, I'm going to feel like they were just, you know, taking a, the easy way to, to have a serious and thoughtful episode without having any truth to the character so it, it's kind of like a it's a it's it got a b plus or something like that but with an asterisk so we'll we'll see how it does going forward all right then on uh, thursday we have 30 rock standards and practices um we had the return of chloe Moretz as jack's nemesis uh, what did you think
1: yeah this was easily the best 30 rock of the season so far i thought I think you brought this up before I saw it, and I think you're dead on. I think Chloe Moretz is easily the best foil for Jack we've gotten in a long time, and she was just fantastic throughout the episode. This was sort of the best episode of 30 Rock of the season just because it had the fewest actively disinteresting subplots, I think. I think it it, it had the fewest misses. Let's put it that way.
2: For me, I was writing up my thoughts on it just briefly. And, you know, so I started... The first thought for me was, of course, Chloe Rutz is great, and I really wish they would bring her back more. Not too much. I don't want the character to feel overplayed, um, which is kind of how I feel about Will Arnett's character at this point. But then the second thing I started to write was that at least Kenneth had something to do besides threaten to quit. Oh, wait.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: (laughs) So I I didn't even realize that once again they went to the same well until I was reflecting on it later the whole um Liz and the other was it the other Kenneth I don't even remember who her uh, her alter ego was in the bathroom um but that was just every time she started hamming it up for the camera why am I saying this I just rolled my eyes and it did really didn't work for me how about how about for you
1: uh yeah I mean in general I can't I'm really struggling to think of a time this season that Tina Fey's had the best material of of the cast, and I don't think it's ever happened, which, mm-hmm. which is you know probably not a great sign.
2: Yeah, pro- probably not. I I don't even remember what were Jenna and Tracy doing this week.
1: Uh, well, Jenna had some kids.
2: Oh yeah, so that's right. That, yeah, yeah. Which was
1: all, which was all right.
2: Yeah, it, it makes sense for her to have a real. Hey, if Tracy's wife has a reality show, then why not Jenna? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, so yeah. Then next we had Parks and Rec, Lucky and Sean Hayes dropped by, and we had uh, some love triangle, April as matchmaker situations. Um, what did you think?
1: Well, Nick Offerman wrote this episode, and it's I think he, and he I think he inadvertently gave himself all the best scenes, like everything involving sort of the date and and him being around for Andy's studies. And actually, the stuff that really cracked me up was Andy and he, Andy talking about Laura Mulvey was really strange because I'm actually in a film theory class right now and reading about feminism, feminist theory and and film criticism. And it was just, there was like an uncanny valley effect of watching Chris (laughs) Pratt talk about the stuff was just, it was really strange. Um, But yeah, I mean, I didn't think it was a remarkable episode or anything like it. The, the whole thing with Sean Hayes and the show was kind of, was, you know, reasonably funny, but, but it had the feel of just a one-off thing that isn't really gonna have any lasting impact for the campaign which is a little disappointing because they've been so good at keeping that uh, keeping the campaign a sort of through line that's sort of effectively serialized but other than that you know it was another solid parks i thought
2: Yeah, I think it was smart to take a week off from Katherine Hahn. I assume she'll be back next week, or or, uh, or I guess the show's actually going off the air, thanks to the return of Community, Um, so... Yeah, another
1: reason for me to be mad at Community. Six weeks! (laughs) Uh. Well,
2: yeah, but it'll be coming back once, I think... uh, I think it's after Up All Night or something finishes, it's out at season, it's coming back, something like that. But um, I assume Catherine Hall will be back for the debate and some of the other things that are coming up for Parks and Rec. But I do think it was smart to give us a little pause in that uh, dynamic. And I did enjoy Sean Hayes in the episode. I thought he worked really well. And um, just watching Leslie, how well she handles herself, (laughs) even though she's drunk, uh, was was pretty funny for me. So that worked for me. As for the, the... the love triangle thing ish. I feel like calling it a love triangle is a bit inaccurate. Um, I, I, I enjoyed, I was, uh, I was enjoying the theory of April becoming the show's matchmaker, much against her will. Um, but, uh, but I then I was also glad to see that they went another way with it. I'm enjoying what they're doing with Chris still, but I kind of wish they would hurry it up because I feel like they've been hitting the same note for quite a while now. So, um, yeah. Other than that, I also I also loved Donna's fascination with Jerry and the envelopes it was
1: it was yes, pretty great. Yeah, that was cute.
2: So so yeah. I mean, what do you what do you think about Chris?
1: Uh, well, you know if they had him be happy go lucky for two and a half seasons, so. I don't mind them sort of plucking the misery notes a little bit longer, and you know, because I, I think it'll make it more satisfying when he, he eventually does get out of it, and we can feel like that's encouraging rather than annoying.
2: Yeah, and then as for um, Tom and uh, uh, Tom and Anne, the the writers have made it known that they know that everybody else hates it, <laughs> and that they've decided they're just gonna they they kind of love that everybody hates it, so they're just gonna kind of screw with the audience a bit
1: <laughs> i think i said something to that effect the, the first or second week they got paired up like they clearly are enjoying the, the sort mm-hmm. of messing with people's heads about that yeah so I, I can't really remember seeing that dynamic on a sitcom before i'm sure it's happened but it, it's not springing to mind so I, I think it's an interesting sort of um dynamic for them to mind as long as possible
2: Yeah. Um, Next, we have Archer. And for me, for most of the season, Archer has been better or more consistently funny than Parks and Rec. But this week, I I give the edge to to Parks and Rec. What do you what did you think about Skin Game?
1: Oh, I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, Anything that opens with Archer going into Krieger's like bizarre, (laughs) like Sallow-esque apartment is, you know, is good by me i mean it was a really really weird episode uh but i don't think it was bad in any sense i mean i I can't really think of it being a dip in quality in terms of what we've seen recently uh the whole bringing katya back only to have her run run off with barry was i thought great especially the whole graduate thing at the end was was i thought yeah this was awesome and I also, like, I know that, that apparently not everyone likes Barry. I love Barry. I like having him around. I thought the fight scene was also pretty epic.
2: Yeah, I think it was good. I mean, for the thing for me is that it, it wasn't as funny it, much in the way that... For, for me, Parks and Rec, often I don't laugh out loud, but I really enjoy the time that I spend with those characters. Mm. And I kind of feel like that's where I was with Archer this week. Normally with Archer, I'm laughing out loud and having a great time. Um, and, and I do think it's better than um, some of the... It's not the my least favorite episode of the season by quite a bit, but Cyborg Catchy just didn't really land for me, as well as some of the other things have this season. And so while I had fun, I wasn't laughing out loud, and normally that's what I'm—that's my experience with Archer.
1: Also, someone else had to point out I didn't notice that when Barry attacks the—I forget the name of the guy who always gets injured in the in the office—he writes "Barry was here" and also "Barry" on the wall in blood, (laughs) (laughs) which which was a nice touch. Nice, Uh, but yeah. And next week is the first part of our. Two, of, a, of the two-part finale in space with Brian Cranston, so yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very
2: excited. excited for that, but it's also the finale, and I don't want it to be the finale yet. So yeah, there's... I know
1: it's it seems it's early, but of course we we got spoiled by that three-part premiere that sort of aired early. So, but it yeah, also seems like fun. Archer's going to be on pretty much indefinitely. So.
2: Yeah, it just you got know. picked up for one more season, two more seasons, something like one that, One more right? season
1: with the with some sort of production agreement so that uh, Reed's company can probably make more shows. And mm-hmm. the, the general feeling that, yeah, we're not going anywhere for a while.
2: Nice. Then on th- Thursday, we also had the second episode of Awake, the Little Guy. And we were both po- positive on the pilot. Um, I know the reaction to this episode is a little more mixed. What did you think?
1: yeah,, um, I think the show's got a few problems for me right now. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with them switching to a procedural format necessarily, which is what basically happens this week. But the procedural aspect needs to be really, really interesting or at least as interesting as the central premise of the show. I'm not really convinced that that's the case just yet. I think there's I, I think I mean Kyle Killens talked about how he's had to sort of familiarize himself with the cop show landscape because it's not really his thing. So, well, in that sense, I think we'll see them get adjusted over time. I think the more troublesome aspect of the show is there's this scene that's tacked on. It's literally tacked on to the end. Like, the episode <laughs> is over, fade to black, and then and then you can almost see the show just like, ah, fine. And then it goes into this <laughs> really awful scene that seems to uh, imply some wider conspiracy around... Uh, his what about around the main character's wife's death and it's ugly it's not looking good
2: well the biggest problem I had with that scene and that scene is the biggest problem I have with the entire episode and actually and series so far is that either we have an unreliable narrator and we cannot trust the camera or that world exists because he's not there So if we're not supposed to be sure which reality is in his mind, theoretically, or if they're both somehow in his mind, or if they're both somehow real, if we're not supposed to be sure about that, then we shouldn't be getting scenes that he's not in, that he can't know about.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, because the scene with the, I mean, he's not around for the scene with the friend and the girlfriend, Mm -hmm. but it is something he theoretically might conjure up.
2: Yeah, like because that could be following, you know, the sun, or you know that that's less of an issue for me. But the, this, he can't know or spying on him. Yes, you know, as much as I like Laura Innes, I mean, there, it, just, it doesn't work for me. It really yeah. it just fights against the central conceit, which is the part of the show that I like. So
1: yeah, and it's also badly written. Like it's yeah, just that really <laughs> clumsy. It is not good writing. Yeah. So oh, yeah. not so I, good. I, not so good. Awake.
2: No, I, I do like the procedural elements though I'm fine with i mean the the procedure it's, the procedural side of things this week, but it does make me more nervous moving forward. so we'll see what you know, how the next few weeks shape shape up. Um, yeah, then we sure. have uh, then we have Sunday Bob's Burgers, the premiere of season two. I hadn't seen season one. I haven't seen season one actually, um, but I, I checked out the premiere. have you are you familiar with season one?
1: I still think I saw about half of it. I wasn't watching it religiously, but I I happened to be, you know, around the house often on Sunday and would catch it. And I I remember also seeing the premiere and I remember the show improving over the course of the of the episodes that I saw. And I think for me this kept it up. I really enjoyed the premiere. Uh I mean, when you've got I I think it's been pointed out many times, but I I think Secret. The secret weapon in the show's arsenal of success, really not that secret at this point, is is Kristen Schaal, who plays the youngest daughter. And she's just she's just so exuberant and so enthusiastic that she kind of just lifts up the show's energy at basically all times. I'm not really I, – I hope they're paying her enough because that can't be easy work. I mean, of course, you've also got H. John Benjamin, who has the rare distinction of starring in two good comedies at the same time. I'm, I don't think that that's terribly common. Um, but I don't know, it's, the show has a really nice blend of silliness and crudeness and sweetness and, you know, sort of high concept stuff with lowbrow humor, but also strange references. I mean, stuff that shouldn't work, like the whole, the whole recurring gag about the location of the treasure, Mm -hmm. but it kind of does work just because they're so committed and they'll do things like have Cyndi Lauper come in and sing a song about it because why the hell not? (laughs) <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I really dig the show's uh, energy and enthusiasm.
2: I thought it was really cute, and the fact that I'm using the term "cute" to describe a show where they uh, spend a significant amount of time with a drawing of a butt with turds coming out, uh, I think is <laughs> is telling. See, it They're doing
1: funny, but I'm chuckling.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it the, the handling and the execution of it, and the performances too, are just so well done. It really, it really works, and uh, it, there's a whimsy to it that I very much enjoy. I also think Kristen Schell is great as the youngest sister. For me, the, the having H.J. Benjamin as the lead is somewhat distracting, if only because I'm so, I, I love Archer so much, and I'm so used to his voice coming out of a very different image. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe it's just because I, I watched all of Archer in the within the past several months, you know, half Mm -hmm. a year. So maybe it's just because I'm so uh, in Archer land right now. Um, And I'm curious to see as it moves forward after Archer has its finale, if that will go away or if it'll still sort of, I will still have some sort of cognitive disconnect there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun and Mm -hmm. uh, I look forward to watching more. Yeah.
1: I also really like the relationship between Bob and his wife. Yeah. They're just, you know... it's a little out there, but you know, there's just a basic sweetness to it. Which, uh, as as means of segue, there wasn't a whole lot on display of on Eastbound and Down this week. No, not so much. <laughs> which, boy, did this get messed up this week? Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, if we're talking about this now, um, I, I think it's pretty clear to me that the that the weak point of this season for me is the Stevie stuff. Yeah, which is generally just kind of unpleasant. But actually, I, I everything to do with Danny McBride and Jason Sudeikis as who just nails the whole straight man thing this week.
2: Mm-hmm. This
1: is how it's done, um, and the funeral and just everything the, that stuff all worked for me. I thought it was a pretty fine example of sort of the sort of you know uh, comedy of embarrassment that the, that that Ricky Gervais used to do so well. Um, you know, it's. So I I heard someone say the other day that it's it's now sort of become uh, the American equivalent of Alan Partridge, which is I can I can kind of see that too. There's there's at least there's sort of that level of arrogance at play, but uh, I don't know. I, I I dug it except for like the third of the episode that went to Steve Dunowski.
2: I did not expect them to spend an entire episode dealing with Shane's death, so that was a huge. I kept. Yeah, I was very surprised by that, and I thought it was actually a lot of fun for the most part. I I gotta say, I think the the single best joke or most reliable s- source of humor on this show right now, besides maybe the baby, is is the doors on Shane's truck. Yes, <laughs> every time, it's just it. There's just a slight couple seconds of time with that and every mm. single time it happens it's hilarious and i laugh out loud unfortunately so, they're
1: probably gone now
2: that's the unfortunate thing and i do enjoy that they keep mentioning the cannonball stuck in the back which is pretty fun as much as i didn't like that episode um so yeah i, I agree the stevie stuff is the part that didn't work for me um this week and uh, and so i i i I like him better as being sort of the the naive not cheating on his wife and all sorts of the weird stuff that keep giving him to do. I think he works better when he's a foil for Dan for Danny McBride's yeah. character. And so when you that's taken away, I think I think the uh Kenny Powers character still works, but I think Stevie doesn't work as yeah. well. I well, so, I
1: I appreciate the commitment to making us to, just to making it clear that these are you know you might think that these are not good people like you might think they're funny sometimes but they're you know they're basically un- horrible unprincipled human beings uh, also I'm I'm also still really enjoying um his russian rival
2: oh yes like yes I think Ivan. He's, he's
1: been great it's it's also just been great to have an unfamiliar face on the show because mm-hmm. everyone seemingly everyone in the show is famous except for that guy so Mm -hmm. that's 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 a nice touch to have there's only like three two or three episodes left so i'm kind of curious how they're gonna they're gonna wrap
2: it up up. we'll see um i do not predict a happy ending but maybe i may maybe they'll decide to go there with it
1: Uh, If, if if jody hill's history tells me anything it's that they're either gonna go with a redemptive ending that you can't really believe, like mm-hmm. that you're not really allowed to believe, or they're going to go super dark. And I'm <laughs> not really sure which yet, so we'll see. We'll
2: see. Then after that on Sunday, we have The Amazing Race, Taste Your Salami. Um, Dan is still destroying us in the pool. Um, but I, I enjoyed that this week it was a uh, what a five-way tie for second. We, we all got two points except for Dan who got more. Um yeah. I was very glad that this was a non elimination round, um not just because the Kentucky guys were at the bottom and I enjoy them, um but I am not I'm curious what you think. I thought this was a pretty terrible episode. At least challenges why? I mean, repelling, repelling is easy. Repelling is not hard. Repelling is not a <laughs> well, they, challenge. they didn't
1: seem to think it was easy.
2: Well, the fact that the federal agent was failed her repelling, I mean, come on. Repelling is not a difficult thing to do. So,
1: Repelling is a key federal agent task. I'm just okay, saying they you need keep, to repel into federal caves all the time.
2: They keep showing when in every you know every week the the way that they sh- introduce the federal agents is to have them wielding like AK-47s through um like this obstacle course thing. And she can't even repel. Come on.
1: How do we know they're not just like federal secretaries? Like they could be. They 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 could just be you know they could be CIA you know clerks we don't really know
2: they could be analysts who don't have any field experience and that's that's cool that's an awesome job exactly. too but then don't yeah. don't have your the, your int wave our the very little time we spend with the characters is them walking through an obstacle course with ak-47s or whatever yeah. you know big giant gun um and so mm-hmm. they have them repel and then they have them wash some statues i mean mm-hmm. come
1: on and we also had not one but two horribly conflicting couples although I, I have hope that Dave and that uh Dave and
2: Rachel will figure it out.
1: Yeah, Dave and Rachel will, will hopefully patch it up. But the holy crap of <laughs> the big brother people need to They need to leave. Oh, they need to choke on their own flesh and die.
2: Well and the worst the most <sighs> annoying thing about them this week was all of the time they spent saying, We should just quit. Because of a couple things. First of all, don't come on the show if this is all it takes to get you to want to quit. Second of all, don't tell us you're going to quit when we all know you're not going to quit. Don't tease us. That's not fair.
1: Well, it's and it, I don't think it's so much about teasing. It's just, you know, these are people with reality show experience. And I, the, the the annoying sense for me with them is that they're finding ways to manufacture drama. Because they figure that's going to get them on camera. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know if they're actually calculating that much, but that's how it feels to me. Because, you know, we, we that's every minute we spend with them bitching at each other is a minute we don't spend with, you know, the feds or mm-hmm. the cousins or yeah. you know, more pleasant teams to actually follow around. The, yeah. the other thing for me this week is, you know, I'm not naive. I understand that product placement and sponsorship is important, but mm-hmm. holy crap, did they go overboard with the Ford stuff this week? Like... Not only showing us like eight times the, the, park the like assist. fancy software parking system and not only showing off the cars they're driving, but then having them drive to an automobile museum to find an old Ford model to like, it was, it was too much.
2: Uh, it didn't bother me at all, actually. Um, that's interesting. Siri-
1: not, e- not even the many shots of the, no. of the, really?
2: No, because they were, I don't have that big of a problem with this kind of, Clear advertising. First of all, the Park Assist thing is really cool. So I didn't think, like, like, when you're watching Top Chef and they say, So then we jumped into our Chevy Volt or whatever the thing to go to the thing. You know that that's something that they told them to say because they want, you know, because nobody actually speaks that way. But in this. I mean, I believed when they, every single couple was like, oh, "Okay, that's really cool," because it is really cool, and it so it seems genuine. The advertising within, you know, yeah, from the teams. I, and, I don't think so. <laughs> you think they told them to say it was cool?
1: No, no, no. I, I didn't think it was genuine. No, I told, no, I agree <laughs> that they told them to say that, but the whole thing was the way that the episode was framed by the way Phil was saying it. They almost turned it into a challenge, like, "Oh, but when you get here, you have to use your." your, you know, whatever, automated parking, as if it's making it more difficult when it's actually making your life much easier. Eh. That whole thing was, yeah, not good. Not good, people. (laughs) Not good integration.
2: I kept expecting them to be winning some cars at the end. That to be the, because every now and again that happens, they get sponsorship from somebody for one leg of the race, and then the prize at the end for the first place team is a pair of cars or something like that. Um, So I was a little surprised that that didn't happen, but... um, I got to say, I'm a little, I kind of, I can't actually do this until my team gets eliminated uh, because I, that's just the kind of person I am, but I'm kind of wishing that I had picked Art and JJ as my team to win it all just because I, I picked the, the Mississippi girls just based on the first week because I liked them um, and I, I, I'm not, I can't will myself to change it until they get eliminated i can't jump ship um but art and jj as much as you know they're kind of cocky and not necessarily a little creepy yeah not necessarily my favorite team to to want to you know hang out with they seem like they really know what they're doing
1: yeah i mean we'll see i mean rachel and dave won two weeks in a row also
2: yeah but they uh, also broke down with very little stress and started yelling at each other
1: right well we'll see. it's still early going i mean we'll 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 see what happens
2: yeah we'll see next week bavaria and beards and some and castles and fairy tales right
1: i pr- i predict lots more bad jokes next week
2: <laughs> fingers crossed i i like the bad jokes they're fun <laughs> then after amazing race is the good wife long way home and i have a feeling we're going to disagree on this one uh what did you think probably
1: I seem to be in the minority and not really being all that happy with where Good Wife is right now. Okay. I mean, on the plus side, we're not dealing with, I think, the low point of the season, which is, you know, Alan Cumming and Amy Sedaris getting it on. yoo <laughs> oh, tapeworms. But, <laughs> um, But it seemed like every single plot line this episode ha- was soapier than usual, which is not necessarily a problem, I guess, but it's... It it felt kind of like I was watching a less interesting show than the one I'd been following for a few seasons. Like every single plot line had to do with people people shouldn't be having sex with and, you know, kind of, you know, ethical questions around that. And the whole thing with bringing back Dylan Baker as seemingly as often as they can is getting a little bit tiresome. He's great. I mean, he's creepy and all that, but it's I kind of feel like they need to space that out a little more if they're going to keep bringing him back. It seemed a little too soon. And, th- I mean, there, was, there were clever things about it. I mean, the whole Caitlin reveal was, was nice, but I also really didn't care about the stuff with the house. I'm sorry. It was white wine.
2: <laughs> I don't know what that means.
1: White wine? wine? Never mind. Okay. Uh, anyway.
2: Yeah, I definitely liked the episode more than you did. Um, I agree that elements of it were, were definitely heightened than as opposed to what the tone of the show usually is. Uh, For me, it wasn't that big of a problem. I enjoyed Dylan Baker and Marina Baccarin. I thought it was a smart way of bringing him back, uh, because it it made way more sense than, um, than having him involved in another criminal proceeding for some reason. And, uh, he does seem like the kind of guy who would attract the crazies. So, you know, maybe we'll see Marina back, back her in back again. Mm-hmm. And I always enjoy her anyways.
1: Um, uh, I did like learning what, uh, contraceptive fraud means.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah.
1: That was cute. Yeah. Well, cute, disgusting, but,
2: but yeah, I liked what we got with Carrie and I look forward to seeing what happens with that in, in the, in the future. um, and I liked that. I can't even remember the character's name. The other ADA called him out for uh, for his uh, lack of ethics, shall we say? Um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: And I, you know, I think that was was interesting as well. And I like that they haven't forgotten her because she was such a stronger presence on the show earlier on. So I'm glad to see her back. Um, as mm-hmm. for the house stuff, you know, that worked for me. At first, I was a little unsure about it, but. That worked for me because of the the last scene, Um, (laughs) which may be exactly why you didn't like it. But for me, it makes sense because at a certain point, so she, you know, she had a relationship with Will and she stopped it um, and she's spending more time with her family and she's she's had some time. So she's starting to heal And I think it's important every now and again, you know, it makes sense, it's natural for her to kind of see where she's at and see if she fits back into what her life used to be, you know, and and also I think it makes sense to see that the kids would kind of like to be able to go back home to pretend like this whole thing has been just a sort of detour or a bump, but they're, have them back in, you know, their childhood home. I think that makes sense for them. And... I was having trouble with it um, earlier in the episode, just because I felt like it was too uh, pat. And so, while ob- I actually was talking to the TV when the the, the <laughs> when the height chart was still there, I was like, "Come on, anybody would paint over that." So that was ridiculous. It was still there, but her reaction to seeing that I think made sense and just her you know it's that whole you can't you don't realize you can't go home until you go home and you don't fit in sort of right. an idea and I think for her and where she's at right now it's only natural, natural for her to be wondering exactly where she stands in her marriage and in her with her family so yeah
1: I mean I, I, that scene like I think it makes emotional sense I just thought the execution was a little cornball yeah I agree and, like, and un, unusually so for the show which was a little worrisome mm-hmm it, it it reeked almost of schmuck bait, as the as the show's producers might say. But the other scenes with her, with with you know trying to figure out what's going on with the property, were not very. Which just kind of seemed like filler. Mm. Uh, also, the preview for next week has me worried because I love Elizabeth Reeser. I'm glad if they mm-hmm. want to bring her back, but the reason they're bringing her back, yeah, uh, I'm not sure about, how that. I feel
2: about that. I do want to mention before we move on that I really liked what they did with Caitlyn at the end, um, wh- yeah. where her character's at. I thought that was great, because I think it... I think Caitlyn has been a really interesting character on this show, because she has both fulfilled and subverted my expectations for her when we... the instant we met her. So she she just seems so doughy, and, um, like, she was exactly the kind of person who would just, you know, decide she wants to get married and have a kid, and... Not you. Know, she just she seemed like such a sweet and passive character. So this sort of a ending for her character theoretically feels very organic to who we first met. But I also really like seeing how smart and driven and competent she really is too. So I I, I enjoy that duality and contrast within the character. Mm-hmm.
1: I I do feel like they worked a little bit too hard trying to have it both ways with her. Like you know. When they introduce her, having her not be quite as intelligent seemingly as the other character, but then actually having her be really intelligent and, Mm you know, trying and then also making clear that she's basically there because of, you know, because of her family connections, but then making her a really good lawyer anyway, and then making it seem like she's going to backstab her, but then actually not like it's, I would say about 75% of it worked, but I do think they, there was a little bit of strain there for me.
2: Okay. Okay, I hear that. After Good Wife, we had, uh, of course, Walking Dead, and we already actually put the Walking Dead Sunset podcast out on the Televerse feed, so that should already be there for you if you're listening to this via iTunes. Otherwise, you can hear our thoughts along with Ricky D's on this most recent episode of Walking Dead by going to org and checking out the podcast we have there. Spoiler alert: We liked it. Yay! That it was
1: really good. That's how good it should be every week.
2: Yeah, seriously. At
1: least. Yeah. Um,
2: after that, we had Luck, episode seven, and uh, one of the characters met an unfortunate, uh, had an unfortunate incident with an ashtray. Uh, what did you think yeah, of this episode? You...
1: Um, yeah, only only on a David Milt show could someone be killed by syntax well, yeah. and an ashtray, yeah. but still, um, yeah, that that was great. I'm a little bit concerned that that for me at least the season may have peaked around the episode four or five mark which is sort mm-hmm. of roughly when we when we spotlight it because i think i was ho- i was really hoping that the sort of gambin hoffman dynamic would pay off into something really interesting i'm not really sure that that's going to happen like it 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 feels to me like that whole subplot is kind of i'm sort of i've sort of mentally written it off as being kind of a wash which is disappointing because i mean you know it's Michael Gambon he's amazing but I'm not really sure there's anything particularly interesting going on there on the other hand uh, I'm still really liking most of what's going on with the 4A stables people the stuff with Jerry is not great I'm I'm not really that interested in his relationship with Naomi uh, I'm not although you know I'm happy to see the show integrating more female characters Um. let's see what else is going on this week
2: we had uh, uh, like John the... Ortiz and uh, the kids.
1: John, I I really like the, the the basically everything John Ortiz gets to do this week because I, I think they've opened his character up in a fairly organic way and his scenes with Jill Hennessy are great, uh, especially near the end. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I thought it was solid. I thought it was a little better than last week, but still not quite up to the show's best moment so far.
2: Yeah, I agree, and I I particularly agree about the Michael Gambon scenes. I don't care about that plot line at all. Um, I don't, I only care about Ace as he re- relates specifically to horses. So I liked his scenes with yeah. Joan Allen this week. Her character, I don't remember the character's name off the top of my head. I really, Claire. Claire, I really enjoyed those. I enjoy when he's at the uh, the track. I enjoy when he's visiting the horse. I don't care about his revenge or whatever, all this other stuff that's going on. And the other thing is that it's not going away. Michael Gambon is next on next season as a regular. So Mm
1: -hmm. if
2: anything, we're only going to get more of that stuff, which is a little disappointing.
1: I I could see them turning it around if, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if the, because I feel like there's a reveal coming with this whole thing, because I mean, there has to be, because we still have no idea what it is really that Ace is up to. Mm Mm-hmm. But And if that's really satisfying, maybe they can turn it around for next season. But, yeah, it's definitely the least interesting aspect of the show.
2: Well, and I started out not liking the the gamblers, not liking the 4A guys, and now I do. Now they're my favorite mm-hmm. part of the show. So, clearly, David Milch is a very talented writer and, and showrunner and producer, so it's very possible that he'll turn it around. But mm-hmm. for now, I mean, as much as I did also enjoy that syntax bit, uh, it's still not that interesting to me. I'm way more interested in Carrie Condon and uh, Rosie and and Nick Nolte. And I was disappointed that we had the same beat for her this week, but on the same hand, it also feels more realistic. So we'll see where that goes. Um, But as much as I would have liked to have more Carrie Condon this week, I did, like you, also really enjoy Mm-hmm. the the stuff with Ortiz and Hennessy. I'm also really liking Jimmy. And I, I did you notice his uh, stammer going in and out this week?
1: Yeah, I did. I, I I'm telling you, the guy is not all right. I <laughs> but like.
2: I think he's absolutely all right, and I think he's putting on the stammer because when he's talking to uh, Escalante, or no, he's talking to sorry Nick Nolte's character and having more of a heart to heart. It's not there, so that feels way more authentic to me. So that. Therefore, I imply that when he's talking to the jockeys, uh, that's when he's putting it on.
1: Uh, it's Joey, by the Joey, way. Joey, sorry, and yes. I, 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 I'm not sure if he's putting it on or if he's just more nervous around some people. That's true. I, 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 I agree that he's he does seem to have a better command of it. I mean, he he does seem more confident in some scenarios, but I don't know. Joey Joey's one of the most interesting characters, and he's a, he's a tough guy to read. And it's not because of, you know, bad writing or anything it's just that's the way he's written and you can he's a very rich character and I'm really enjoying uh, Richard Kind uh, dig into it
2: yeah yeah it's nice to see him get some really solid material I feel like he's been a reliable kind of second banana kind of character on TV for a long time or third or, or third, third or fourth banana, four. yeah. so it's nice to see him get more to do um, then the yeah. final show this week before we take a break and go to our spotlight is Monday's smash chemistry Um <laughs> I know we're we, we are about one week, uh, one bad episode away from dropping the show. Is this that bad episode, Simon?
1: Not quite. Like, I, I feel like the show has lower to go. Like, <laughs> I don't think we've had another episode quite as bad as episode two, three. honestly. Three, episode three. Oh, sorry, episode three, yeah. I keep thinking it's the second episode, yeah. That was the show's low point so far, but I'm almost kind of excited to see how bad it can get. Like, It's the reverse of <laughs> Justified? Yeah, like... I, I, like because this week, you know, the sign to me that the show is really messed, that the show's really screwed it up, is that they introduced Derek, the director, as being this huge asshole and just being this you know, a terror to work with, etc. And he's you know stepping the leading lady and all this stuff, but he's by far the most likable character for me at this point. He's the only one who seems to resemble a professional. I mean, except for you know the the other uh, Tom, I guess. Mm-hmm who is you know is relatively good at that, but but even he snaps at Derek for no good reason. Really, well, earlier in the episode. Well, he's
2: defending his colleague, which which makes sense. I mean,
1: I'm sorry, but she does not deserve defending. Well,
2: for st- for her personal life, sure, but for her professional life, I mean.
1: Well, I mean, she's he's just trying to light a fire under her ass. I mean, they, he's, he's being got, an he's asshole
2: because that's the only way he knows how to motivate people, and that's you know there are many many people like that. But that doesn't yeah. mean that verbal abuse is okay.
1: Well, but it's verbal, verbal abuse in, in, in support of the you know, <laughs> job that, I, oh, that I'm working on. That makes So it I okay. can get behind Sorry. it. It doesn't make it okay, but I can get behind it. Okay. Whereas I think we can both agree that the Deborah Messing character, it's not really her fault. Mm-hmm. But the, the way that character's. Re- She's like one of the worst characters on TV right now. She's not She's good. She's horrible.
2: Yeah, the I mean, and I really like Deborah Messing. I think she's an incredible, like, incredibly likable presence, and I think that she's doing her best with the material that she's given. But I mean, come on, I, I, at what point do you start filing stalker, uh, you know, papers on that the guy, the DiMaggio character, and and mm. I mean, just this, this whole the whole situation, it's just it's not it's not good. Um, well,
1: and and the whole the whole that whole plotline feels like it was written by fifteen year olds. Yeah, like, this is not how an ad- this is not how an adult woman handles this situation.
2: Well, this you can't. It's just not. You have to have better judgment than that to be a successful playwright or or lyricist or whatever. I mean, aren't they supposed to be this you know writing duo that's put on a string of successful shows or something like that? I mean, mm-hmm. how does she get? If this is all it takes for her to be unable to work just uh, you know some conflicts at home and a potential infatuation how does she how did she write so many shows
1: yeah yeah no it's absol- it's not credible at all no. that she would that she would be this successful and then you know that's so that's the aspect of the show that is that is absolutely awful this week i think the only reason it's not in our Spotlight of Shame this week is, is because the other stuff that's bad is just kind of filler.
2: I'm curious, like, what did you think of the Angelica Houston stuff?
1: Filler. <laughs> do you? Like, it was just, it was so useless.
2: What do you think of Ellis this week? Do you like him better when he's with her as opposed to when he's with the writers?
1: I, I don't really find it particularly credible that he's reporting to her. I like that whole relationship seems to have sprung up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, I guess it's, less annoying than him, you know, sabotaging the show and them keeping him around for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's I, I'd rather just not have him there, but if they've got to have him there, I guess this is a slightly less annoying capacity. Like, that's the best the show can do this, this week, basically, is not be awful. Mm-hmm. Like, the stuff with, you know, Catherine McPhee, although, you know, I think we can both agree they spend way too much time just having her or someone else to sing stuff that's not from the show. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't advance the plot. Yeah. And so that, but you know, it was just filler. It wasn't, it was neither good nor bad. It was just kind of there.
2: Well, for me, the I enjoyed the bar mitzvah scene, if only, I mean, granted, when I play gigs, I am far more prepared than that. Uh, but there's a sort it's of uh, truth. Well, you know, it's not hard to be more prepared than, oh, I'll just go to a bar mitzvah. I don't know any songs that they sing at bar mitzvahs, but I'm sure it'll be fine. I mean, come on. Um, but for, for me, the, um, I, so I enjoyed some of that, especially the musicians, there, like, oh sweet, only one more song left, which there, that is, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but I, I remember w- the, when we were talking about Smash back, you know, in our, in our fall premiere or a fall, um, pilot roundup kind of thing, um, there was a question of if they were going to be using all sorts of, uh, uh, auto tune and stuff on the voice and, on their voices and this week was a particularly egregious it, with that song she sang at the bar mitzvah i mean I, I could just compare that song to what ivy was singing in her room i mean they it just that's why i wasn't surprised she got a call from her producer because her voice was so overproduced and synthesized mm-hmm. and it was so fake and that's not something that the show has really done very much of so far so i was really disappointed by that um However, I did like, when we had Ivy singing in her room, I thought it kind of, it was a weird moment in the tone of the show, but I I still enjoyed it because I like that Ivy is a better singer as herself than as Marilyn, and I think that's interesting, and I don't know if, I don't know that it was an intentional thing, but I think she she sounds way better when she's just singing than when she's playing Marilyn Mm -hmm. So I, I I look forward. to... I hope they explore that. Well,
1: she puts on a voice when she's Marilyn, which is you know appropriate, I guess. Yeah. And I also, as I said before, I don't really picture Marilyn as like, you know, a, a belter. So it mm-hmm. kind of makes sense.
2: Yeah, I just mean her but, tone quality, and um, she yeah. also seems more confident. And and if if she's really getting in her head that much about the role, it makes sense. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it even though last week, um. I had to remind myself that I liked the show because I liked some of the music. This week, I didn't really like the music, but I liked the show more than last week. So, yeah, it's certainly not, not the one of the best things on TV, but it's not dropped off enough that I'm willing to give it up quite yet. Yeah,
1: but it could. It I could. I feel like it's coming. <laughs> it, I feel like it's coming.
2: They keep want. It seems like they want to keep trying, so we'll see yeah. what happens.
1: <laughs> they want to keep trying to make it worse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, la- last thing I want to mention about the show is that I think the, the my main source of disappointment with the show right now is when it w- when it was pitched, and this is kind of the way it seemed like the pilot was going. Like, I-, I would love to watch a show about people wrangling with the details of someone's real life in developing a musical, and like,
2: oh yeah, that could be really interesting. Yeah, writing a musical musical about Marilyn Monroe is difficult because of how it ends. How do you end that show? It's, it's
1: difficult for a few reasons. I mean, all the you know the the mm-hmm. the various men and. Yeah, just how do you... <laughs> yeah th- there's all kinds of things that you have to wrangle with, you know, complicated stuff versus sim- versus, you know, having to pare it down somewhat for a musical format. Mm-hmm. But there's none of that discussion here. It's no. just, oh, sh- Marilyn's fabulous, fabulous life, fabulous songs, fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Mm-hmm. Which is not interesting.
2: No, I I agree. So I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully they'll start addressing some of these issues. It's not. I mean, many a lot of shows take a while. It's only what week five or something like that. That's true. We've five week, sixes like that. A lot of shows take a while to find their footing. So I, I'm doubting they're going to get a second season just based on the ra- the fact that the ratings keep slipping. Um, but hopefully they can, you know, really feel more sure-footed before the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now we're going to take a break. We're going to listen to a little music and come back with our spotlight on Justified.
0: Yeah.
2: That was Jack and Coke by Linda Kay, which was featured uh, really prominently. As in, she came on the show and performed it <laughs> at the beginning of this week's episode of Justified, watching the detectives. Beyond the fact that this episode featured some of the worst CGI uh, explosions we've ever seen on TV, at least since the the Walking Dead exploded the CDC. Uh, yeah. What? What? Other than that, what did you think of this week's episode?
1: Well, at least it was a small bad explosion. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, God, um, that, was, that was really bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it was also fast. Like, it was mm-hmm. like they knew it was bad. So, there's like, let's have like Cut eight away from frames it. of it yeah. and then just get away from this.
2: Well, and they've done really good explosions. They may as well have had it off screen. But... Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> like, just have a flash. Whoa. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned, uh, quickly, you mentioned the Linda K song. I thought that was a great opening. I, I loved having Raylan in the bar just. Having a moment, Mm -hmm. Um, and I just like having Raylan in the bar setting at all. I think that's great. I I I was really excited for this episode because you know we the preview for it looked quite tantalizing, and I think it mostly lived up to that promise. It was a little bit. I think I'm gonna get my issue out of the way. It was a little bit tidy. Mm -hmm. I I was I was sort of hoping for a little bit more of the various frame ups in the episode to sort of spill out past this episode and i mean the o- the only real concrete thing is that Boyd is still in jail but you know that's not going to last um at least i don't see how yeah so you know that was a little dis- and i mean it, it, everything just got resolved a little too quickly if not necessarily that conveniently um but you know basically everything else about the episode is good i mean it's i think it's the best episode ever for gutterson who I mean, actually, it clearly is because he gets maybe a dozen of, or at least a half dozen of, the best one-liners in the episode. He's just, yeah, his. He, I mean, he proves this week that his his comic timing is is just as good as all of fans, and that's no small feat. Yeah, although maybe it's just infectious. I don't know. And it's also a great episode for Winona. And as I've mentioned before, I, th- I mean, Gramyos has talked about how he knows people don't like her. You, you, whether or not he thinks it's fair like it's he's aware of the antipathy towards her and he has a lot of fun p- messing with viewers heads about that and but this week he basically just decides to redeem her and make her totally like she's totally ambiguously awesome <laughs> yeah so i think that was a good move
2: yeah i i had a similar reaction to some of the tidiness in this episode when i watched the when i watched it um until I talked to my brother, who, you know, was in town this week, and I was talking to him about the episode, and he mentioned that he loved that, of course, Quarles is the kind of guy who would assume that all that all you have to do to take out a U.S. Marshal is throw a waft of dirty his way, and then that's how it... That'll take him down. Like, that. that's how mm-hmm. the world works in his mind. You can just... You know, like like the the notion that that's all it'll take to take down Raylan Givens is to to kill a guy and, you know, talk, throw a few lies out there and assume that everybody will turn on him. Whereas it that's not necessarily how it works in the real world. And, I mean, unfortunately, some people in law enforcement, and my aunt's a cop, and I'm a big proponent of law enforcement, so I don't want to get too much crap about this, but... Sometimes people in law enforcement get away with stuff that they've done just because, you know, they get the benefit of the doubt. And in this case, obviously, Raylan is innocent, and we know that because we see his alibi because he's at the bar watching Jack and Coke. <laughs> um, but, of course, it doesn't – they don't take the word of some some mob guy over the the evidence that's in front of them. So I actually – that kind of works for me upon further reflection.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But, uh, yeah, I agree. It was a really good episode for Gutterson. Jacob Pitts is is spot on this week, and I wish they were giving him this much material on a more regular basis because he's great. Um, mm-hmm. I also really like Winona, like you said. <laughs> I love the callback of the, uh, what, what am I, an asshole?
1: <laughs> yeah, great. That was awesome.
2: And it was just so nice to see her paying back the favor. to, mm-hmm. to the You know, Raylan Ra- 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 did this this stuff for her last season that just sort of came out of nowhere. Um, but it, it's nice to see that, no, she would have done the same and she does do the same this week.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's, you know, a pro about it, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah. Um, well, and yeah. The,
2: and the, the fact that they're now equal, because they both made a rash decision. In her case, it was taking the money in his case. It was throwing the bullet at quarrels, mm. and the other one helps them clean up the mess.
1: Yeah, and how great was? Yeah, it was awesome. How great was the detective just <laughs> marveling at the awesomeness of? Because, yeah, you know, we we all thought it was awesome. He think, everybody thinks it's awesome, but it doesn't change the fact that it got him into trouble. Yeah. But it was still awesome.
2: <laughs> well, and I love the that like. Did you just did you just think of that? He's like, no, I heard somebody say it once, and I thought it, I thought it was cool, so I said it again.
1: <laughs> I'd love to find the actual clip of that from From Carson, because uh-huh. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I I'd love I'd love to know the exact origin. Um, we don't get much Limehouse this week, which is probably good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, although we do get him and Quarles hooking up, and I'm curious about that. To me, I think Limehouse's odds of surviving this season are much greater than Quarles's. I agree, <laughs> for a variety of reasons uh i i would like to see them better integrate and sort of redeem the limehouse character who i think is sort of the achilles heel of the season so far but we don't get much of him we'll we'll see what what becomes of that i didn't Um, notice his
2: teeth this week you what i didn't notice his teeth this week
1: you didn't well that's good
2: that's yeah for the first time so
1: yeah maybe maybe that's because he was in you know in darkness (laughs) <laughs> but um we also didn't get any Jim Beaver this week which I was kind of sad about but, but we, did Tobolowsky, Tobolowsky. we did get some
2: Tobolowski, Stephen Tobolowski. we did get
1: some Tobolowski, and he was good yeah I mean he was doing his Tobolowski thing and he was he, he's he's good at it
2: well, kind if of it's, of, uh, it fits really well to, with the character so uh what yeah. about the uh Boyd and Napier conflict we we you we, we sort of addressed it briefly by saying Boyd's still in jail but what did you think of that whole dynamic
1: I think Napier's kind of one of the less interesting characters floating around. I mean he's pretty transparently just a sleazebag. bag mm-hmm. and i uh, i i'm I'm sure there's more interesting things for Boyd to do than just come into conflict with this guy. but I feel like that'll get more interesting when the campaigning starts up, which I assume is soon okay and uh if only because it'll give you'll throw Jim beaver into the mix and I'm a bit of a beaver fetishist <laughs> that sounded wrong um but uh, yeah, I mean, not I'm not crazy about that character, really. But he, he's, he's not annoying. He's just, I feel like they've got, you know, 30 more interesting characters, <laughs> possibly literally, than uh, than Napier. I mean, yeah, you were kind of hinting at this earlier, but I, I, I did really like the feeling. I mean, people have criticized Justified from the beginning for not being realistic, which to me is missing the point of Justified. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. <laughs> but um but this show is is almost this episode is kind of like an answer to that almost like this is you know we can believe it or not we can be critical about this we can look over what raylan's done and we can have him be accountable and we can have you know crazy awesome shit he does be thrown back in his face Mm -hmm. sometimes literally (laughs) and um and yeah and i i thought that was a really smart thing for them to do and it was done effectively if if a little bit too cleanly and i'm i'm very curious what the sort of because we're basically approaching the end game of the season almost like they're gonna start it's gonna start getting real serious real soon and i'm wondering what the implication of quarrels sort of dipping into the supply is -hmm. gonna mean because i just assume that means he's just gonna get more extreme and yeah do do more rash things and considering he's already killed gary like (laughs) that i don't really know what that's gonna mean
2: yeah, I I agree. the the scene we get with quarrels driving around I think is interesting, and I always like when shows take a little time with a character as long as the performance can can earn it. And of course, I think being looked down is great. So I thought that that was nice. And uh, as as for the the realism, I really like that they brought back. I can't even remember the character or the actor, but they brought back that um the the Fed. The guy like who was, Gomez. yeah 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 I like that they brought back the same character and actor and that they have a certain rapport I love his last line of file it in just think about every uh, all the stupid things you shouldn't have done and that's what's in your file uh, mm-hmm. I think is so appropriate for 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 him for Raylan and and for uh, where he's at right now um, and yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing exactly where the season w- winds yeah. up.
1: I get a little giddy every time I wake up on a Tuesday, not just because we're going to record, but also because I know that there's a justified
2: comment. There's a justified And
1: uh, last thing I want to mention is that the the nice thing also about the McDonough scene at the end is it's it's kind of a nice mirror with Raylan's scene at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So they, they each get a moment to themselves with a little bit of substance abuse and yeah. a little bit of self-reflection.
2: Yeah, it's good stuff. So, okay, the, any other thoughts about our Week in TV before we go to our uh, Shelf?
1: I don't think so. It just was, some... you know, a mixed bag. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of hoping something starts really sucking so we can shame it, though. I, <laughs> I miss, I I kind of <laughs> miss that magic of of just having something so awful we can be almost giddy about it.
2: Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> I I on the other hand am looking forward to Community coming back and and another good episode of Justified. Yeah. And oh, we should mention Game of Thrones is going to be starting in a couple weeks, and we're gonna be doing a Game of Thrones podcast or ish i'm gonna be on it with michael um and michael waldman i want to say yes with michael waldman and uh then you you... haven't met
1: him but he is a he is a barrel of laughs you'll you'll like him
2: and and then you and ricky are gonna kind of trade off as the third the third man in that uh podcast and that'll be weekly once the season starts up so in a couple weeks here so yeah i'm looking really looking forward to that so i'm looking forward to the good tv that we have coming
1: Yeah, and we there's some premieres coming up soon, like Veep and uh, mm-hmm. and Girls are premiering soon, and I'm really excited about Veep, although I'm a little worried, but I am but I'm excited. <laughs> and other stuff, I mean, South Park starts this week, all kinds of stuff coming up.
2: Yeah. So a few show notes before we go into our DVD shelf. Of course, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles, and... Uh, uh, you can find us at Current uh, if you want to stream us online. Otherwise, of course, we have a, we'll have we have a post up at soundonsite.org, and you can leave comments there. And we always love to hear from you guys. Let us know what you think about any of the TV that you're watching this week. For example, I know Keith was saying that Person of Interest is really kicking in at this point of the season. I know the ratings keep getting better and better. But uh, let us know about the shows that you think we should be checking out. Um we also have uh we're available on iTunes in an M4A and an MP3 feed. The difference is in an M4A feed you can skip around to different chapters so you can skip through the shows you don't watch or if you're worried about spoilers it's another way to do it there. Um but that I think that doesn't work on iPads,
1: right? Apparently which Thanks, is Apple Very
2: strange, because it's an Apple format. But anyway, so those are both there. You can subscribe there. You can send us an email. Our email is theteleverse at gmail.com. So let us know what you're thinking. Right now, I mostly get emails about how I've won things and giveaways, and they just can't wait to hook me up.
1: So what's the problem?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. I just don't want to send them my information. I'm so picky that way. Um, Then, of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at theteleverse. You are?
1: I'm at suckerhowl.
2: And you can reach us there Uh, if you want in on our amazing race pool. Let me know. Send me a tweet or an email and I will hook you up. There's still plenty of time to get in on that. And uh, I think we just all need to decide that Dan doesn't get to win, right?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, in in my head, I'm winning because I have those 20 clown points. (laughs) So, you know, it doesn't really matter what what Dan does because I'm always going to be mentally ahead. Okay. But, you know, it would be nice to be. You know, Actually ahead now
2: that's, I guess that, that's one way of looking at it um, But uh, yeah so that that's, wraps up our, our week in TV and our spotlight And so now we're going to take a little break Listen to a clip from, from the storyteller Jim Henson's the storyteller that is And uh, come back with Robert K. Elder For our DVD shelf
0: Yes yesterday I forgot a story And that is why I went straight out And gave my supper to a beggar Our supper Now, of course, this will strike fools as foolish and wise men as wise. A fool eats his last potato, a wise man plants it. Apart from which, everyone knows beggars are never what they seem. Hmm. You didn't plant a potato. You gave away our supper. What was he if he wasn't a beggar? He was definitely a beggar. There was a time, you see, When I myself was forced to beg. A bad time, a bitter cold. When a great hunger was on the land, and only the rich had bellies. When people told themselves their past with stories, explained their present with stories, foretold the future with stories, The best place by the fire was kept for the storyteller.
2: We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalswick, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are excited to welcome Robert Elder, author and regional editor for Patch.com, to help us talk about Jim Henson's The Storyteller. Robert, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So, what is it about the storyteller that prompted you to choose it?
3: It's just one of those things. I think I saw it when I was 12 years old on TV, and it was so weird. Uh, it was on NBC, I think, in 1988, and it was paired against the sort of reboot of the Jim Henson story hour. You know, they, they tried to sort of remake the, the, the Muppet show. And so, this was the second half hour. And in contrast, it was so dark. Um that it just stuck in my mind. And the episode in particular that, that continues to haunt me is uh the one called uh, uh was it the the soldier and death. Um, which um you know, the the storyteller was uh, uh John Hurt and uh, you know he had a dog uh and they would tell these sort of elaborate sort of fairy tales, um, and the dog was uh um Brian Henson, uh Jim's son.
2: Yeah, it's just such a fun, uh, fun series. I, of course, I had a very different relationship with the show because I actually grew up on the fairy tales in this in this show because my mom at some point bought the book like the story, the fairy tale book like storybook version of these stories. Mm. And so I knew them as fairy tales and was read them as, as I was growing up. And so when I I found out years later that it had been a TV show and I actually hadn't gotten around to to catching up with it until now. So thank you so much for choosing this because it was so great to revisit my childhood somewhat with these stories. Uh, So of course I had a really positive experience with this. Um, Simon, did you know about the storyteller?
1: I had never heard of the show in my life. However, as soon as I found out that there was a, Um, live-action series from the 80s with John Hurt narrating and creatures from Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Uh, I was intrigued. I was doubly intrigued uh, since the entire series is written by Anthony Minghella.
2: Well, the first season is.
1: Uh, Yeah, the the entire first season. There is a second season about Greek myths, which stars uh, Michael Gambon, which I didn't have the luxury of seeing. But, uh, you know, he's best known now for stuff like, I guess, The English Patient and Talented Mr. Ripley. But he actually did quite a bit of television in the 80s, including this. And I think what really struck me about it is it made me think about children's entertainment in the 80s in general, which was just allowed to be a little bit more messed up <laughs> and more adult than it is now. And I think over the last 20 years, there's really I – and mean, maybe there's historical precedent for this. I don't know. but It seems like our our children's entertainment and adult entertainment has become more segregated than ever, and it seems like here – by partially by reflecting on these you know ancient stories or at least very old stories, um they're allowed to sort of linger in a, a little bit of uh, darkness. I mean, there's threats of <laughs> incest and beatings and death and all kinds of weird stuff lurking around in these episodes that you probably won't get on sort of kitty-oriented shows now.
3: Yeah, and, and that's that's uh, I think that's a great observation. I think. I mean, the thing that drew me to this is it is very much an extension of The Dark Crystal um, and of things like Labyrinth without, without David Bowie in a codpiece. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of dangerous. It is subversive. Um, and the thing particularly about um, The Soldier in Death, which um, I think is the fifth episode, but if you get it on Netflix, it's the, it's the first one. And to my mind, it's, it's the best one. Um, you know some of the best puppets in it are demons. They're these sort mm-hmm. of little like two or three foot demons that have the most amazing teeth. Um, and at one point you know they're playing this this soldier uh, they're playing uh, cards with him and uh, just the way they speak and they have these sort of very sharp English accents and I remember they're playing cards and uh, one of them says e- is he cheating?" And another one says, "Well, I am and I'm still losing. <laughs> Um, that particular line has stuck with me forever
2: yeah it's a great episode and uh, you know because the the book i had the drawings are of course perfect matches of the puppets so for me watching the puppets now i had to keep reminding myself that they weren't that that the they had originally been designed as such and it because they just come to so much life and granted that's what the jim henson company does and does so well i mean they're great at their puppets but the the glee and malice and just fun in in their puppets, I think is, is fantastic. And for me, what I think works so well about the series, and I would compare it to, for example, once upon a time, currently the number one show on Sundays uh, as a Jesus severe contrast um, is that it's both incredibly dark and uh, true to the original sense of, you know, these Germanic fairy tales, and then later the Greek myths in the second season as well. But, and so it gets to, you know, it has its cake, but then it also eats it too because the dog is awesome and it functions so perfectly as the role, uh, in the role of the child to, to sort of, to give that child's perspective and allow the kids to feel somewhat safe watching it. At least that's what I would assume. Robert, what, what did you think of that? Did you feel that sense watching it as you were, when you were young?
3: Well, I thought that, like, you know, even as even though I was 12, I was like, man, this is not for kids. Like, this is strictly <laughs> like I remember thinking and, I, you know, I thought that about um, uh, the Dark Crystal as well. Like, this is really, you know, n- it should not be for children. You know, I thought about that. And, and especially, you know, there's a, a very disturbing scene in the Dark Crystal where one of the little creatures is zapped of, of its essence. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, I saw that, and then I saw The Exorcist, and I don't know which was more disturbing, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always felt that The Dark Crystal... I, In fact, I don't think I've ever finished The Dark Crystal, just because I love Labyrinth. And I think it's perfect for, you know, kids of all ages. But The Dark Crystal is viscerally upsetting to me, because it depicts a world that is entirely puppets. And there's just something insanely creepy to me about that. <laughs> Thankfully... That is not the case with the storyteller, which if that had been, if that had been the case, I think I would have had some serious problems.
3: <laughs> did you guys notice and again, I'm, I'm obsessed with the the uh, the soldier and death, but did you watch any of the other episodes because um, I watched um, there's one called uh, the True Bride, which has mm-hmm. uh, Sean Bean in it, yeah um, of uh, Game of Thrones and uh, Jonathan Price from Brazil and Miranda Richardson. They actually had a really, really good um, cast, and Jim Henson. Himself directed most of them, so they were among the last things he did.
2: Yeah, every now and again, I was actually i I was very pleasantly surprised uh, at the casting of certain ones. Yeah, because you know, in that what is that the um, the three ravens where Jonathan Price shows up, I believe I could be wrong mm-hmm. on that. And then oh, you're right. then later in, with da- Daedalus and Icarus, uh, it's it's uh, Derek Jacoby or Jacoby shows up as Daedalus. and every now and again, I felt like there was stunt casting. Uh, just because it would be there and then not in some of the other stories. Um, cause mm-hmm. I, I watch them all. I mean, I love this stuff. This is this is right up my alley. And I do have to admit to not having seen The Dark Crystal or Labyrinth yet, but I love The Princess Bride, so I feel like that gives me a little fairytale cred, just uh, not so much the dark <laughs> stuff. Um, But for, for me, I mean, I, I, I just really love, I think Sapsaro is my favorite because I, I also like The True Bride, but in Sapsaro we have such a active protagonist strong female protagonist um who's smart and who uh is, is is you know has guile and is not willing to accept a a fate that she is not you know that, that that will not bring her happiness and so i really appreciate that twist on the cinderella story as well as i would say the three ravens which is all kinds of disturbing and dark um mm. But, of course, this, The Soldier in Death is, is fantastic, and I do think has some of the most striking visuals. I love that image of death in the glass. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic.
3: And it, it is super creepy. It's super creepy. Uh, and we, we should uh, mention to folks um, who have not seen it, and, you again, you should run out and see it. It's the most disturbing and wonderful, like just really surprising 23 minutes of your life. But um, the um, The Soldier is actually played by Bob Peck, who... Is this uh, character actor that you've seen and everything, but he's best known as uh, as the hunter, actually in uh, Jurassic Park. Um, you know, but mm-hmm. you, once you see him, you know he's been in some uh, like uh, what uh, Smilla's Sense of Snow, and uh, he was in the Young Indiana jo- uh, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Uh, but it was it, it was so nice to sort of have that connection to him afterwards. I'm like, oh, that that's the guy from Jurassic Park.
2: Simon, did you have a particular story that struck you?
3: Um, for some reason, I have a real affinity
1: for Hans, my hedgehog.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm, oh, that's, I'm not, that's dark. Yeah, maybe that's why. Uh, it's it's kind of messed up. But I, the, one thing I, I really appreciated about the series as I was watching it is there's a variety to the stories in terms of um, how they end up. I mean, some of them are kind of bittersweet and some of them are straightforwardly happy. But there is a consistent kind of outlook to all the stories. And, you know, I guess that's true of. Folk tales in general, where if you are, if you manage to, you know, in all, despite all the world's perils, be virtuous and honest, and be true to your promises, you'll generally come out okay. And I think that's, uh, that's a wonderful thing to have as the core of your incredibly scary children's series.
3: And 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 Hans the Hedgehog, for folks who have not seen it, is about a a woman who wants a baby so bad that when she does give birth, it's to a basically a hedgehog. And how this this humanoid grows up and sort of becomes a monster and
2: rides a giant rooster.
3: It's a kid story via via David Cronenberg. It is. It is. It is very on the body. Um, uh, and and you mentioned before uh, Anthony Mangilla, who um, you know sort of was never my cup of tea as a, a as a film director, um, but his um, turn of phrase, his scripts are so good. Um, you know, the, the, there are little bits of dialogue that, that still, uh, stick with me, um, and, and little bits of description where he, he talks about, uh, there, there was a man so old, he was worn to a whisper. Um, and, uh, you know, when a, an army went up against the devils in the morning, all that was left was shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, little, like, uh, turns of phrase that, that, uh, literally have sort of, uh, stuck with me as I, uh. Uh, Watched it again. I was like, "Oh, that's that. That's such a great line." And they describe the the soldier. His his uh, whistle was a ruby whistle. If if a ruby could whistle, that's what it would sound like.
1: Mm. Well, and <laughs> yeah.
2: I feel like we got to give some of the credit to to John Hurt, who I think is fabulous as the storyteller. And I think the combination of Mingela not being the the writer for the second season, along with Gambin. Uh, being the the narrator or the storyteller that time, who don't get me wrong, Michael Gambon is awesome. But the change of setting to inside the labyrinth combined—it's—it's it's not nearly the comforting John Hurt next to the fire situation, even with the dog there. And mm-hmm. then, and Michael Gambon isn't quite—he's a little less trustworthy, sort of in his just his performance. And then just the fact that unlike all of season one, season two which is Daedalus and Orpheus and uh, Eurydice, Eurydice, uh Perseus and uh, and the the Gorgon and Theseus and the Minotaur. Those are all stories about people who aren't virtuous and therefore are punished as opposed to the first season where in the end if you are virtuous there are some people who wind out wind up okay. Uh, I just feel like some something about the change in the narration really made the second season not nearly as successful for me.
3: Well, and it only had four episodes, and I think a lot of people knew those stories. You know, they we, you know we study a lot of those in, uh, in school, but things like you know the Soldier in Death, which is uh, based on a, a Russian uh, folk tale, those aren't as familiar. So that's why it was sort of great because there's these weird sort of twists and turns. Um, And, you know, you have to hand it to John Hurt, who is who is great. But he also kind of goes through a little bit of torture, because if you look at how the episodes progress, his makeup changes Hmm. and he's a little more humanoid by the time you get to the soldier in death, which is the fifth episode in. But in hands, the hedgehog like his ears are bigger. They make his lower lip stick out. So, you know, they did not perfect it (laughs) when they first put him on screen.
1: And speaking of John Hurt, another episode I really enjoyed was a story short. In which the storyteller is actually also the protagonist, uh, which was a nice little twist. And, um, and and also quite dark in the sense that there's the constant threat of uh, characters being boiled in oil. Mm.
3: <laughs> which, again, is very, very grim, you know, grim with two Ms. Um, and, uh, again, just the structure of the story, the, I think the only thing that the... the they shared and I don't know if you guys uh, noticed this, but I, I think I watched four episodes last night um, is that there is always a really long journey, you yeah, know, like yeah. in, in the middle of an episode, everybody has to have their little um, own, their own Lord of the Rings, <laughs> you know, journey where they're riding on a lion or they're, you know, traveling for years in iron shoes. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, is is that just, is that just a prerequisite? You just have to travel a really long way because these stories came from, you know when people died you know in in a 20 mile radius of where they were born
2: <laughs> well i feel like it's you have to show your your worth and your your persistence and your willingness to to do what has to be done in f- whatever case in in fear not it's searching out fear and in the true bride it's finding her true bride and in the three ravens it's it's running away from and just for me that that journey is more about just her desperate silence um and so i feel like it's it's just part of the something to show the strength and the worthiness of the protagonists that they're willing to go on these long journeys but it's definitely a theme Mm
1: -hmm. since you mentioned uh once upon a time kate yeah i i I feel like and i don't want to be too much like oh the good old days but i i kind of i feel bad that as a culture we seem to have developed like this visceral fear of practical effects yeah, because the, the the worlds that are created by the show are, you know, convincing isn't exactly the right word, but they are very immersive, and oh, the, and the puppets are only part of that. I mean, just simple things like forced perspective things, like the I mean, like the whole giant episode is is really nicely done, and it's not complicated and it's it's not elaborate, but it is effective.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and and actually, I was thinking about that because it, it's such a Great show because of that, and actually the least effective um, shots are the ones that are sort of green screen almost, you know, mm-hmm. where the where the devilers are imposed over something. Um, so it is those physical effects that uh, are are great, and and actually the, the devils episode. I am gonna just jump and mention another episode that I love that also in, involved devils. Do you guys remember the, like the second season of Millennium? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is a, there is a, 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 a show, uh, uh, an episode called "Somehow Satan Got Behind Me." Do you remember that at all? It's, it's written by the same guy who wrote, uh, who wrote, who uh, wrote Clive Buckman's uh, final repose, um, and it's basically um, these demons who get together in a coffee shop and plot their sort of various. Um, not pranks it's the it's how they bring down their prey mm. um and uh you know those episodes are ten years apart, but I can't help but think that my love for that episode directly came from Jim Henson <laughs>
2: yeah, well, i mean it's the the one visual from childhood is all it takes to to really to instill a fear of something or a love of it or an interest in it, so that makes complete sense to me
3: <laughs> also it's just a great episode
2: yeah I, I've been meaning to do a list of um best devils um and it's just so hard because there's so many good ones and in, in TV but but yeah well,
3: i want I want to do a book and maybe this i don't know if this will be my next book but I want to do a book of just greatest episodes because I think in this this time of you know everything's on demand and whatnot you're not gonna sit through if you've never seen it you know seven series of Buffy like you want to know maybe what the top Three are, you know, or (laughs) we've had this
2: conversation. (laughs) Yeah,
3: yeah, or or like you, you know, for the the Twilight Zone, like you're not gonna go watch all hundred and whatever episodes, but maybe there's like four that are really, really great, and maybe they're not the four that everybody knows already. Mm -hmm. For the record, I was made to sit through all seven seasons of Buffy. You
2: weren't made to sit through anything. (laughs) You were against your own will turned into a Whedon fan. (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, sorry, don't you don't need to drag you into that, Robert. Um, but no, I think that that'd be a very interesting book, and certainly certainly something that I would, of course, pull out. And then I agree with this. I disagree with that. This is fabulous. This is you know, it's good times. Um, I would say to to take it back briefly to to the storyteller. Um, for me, I, when we're talking about the effects, what would work so well about this, and I don't know if it the same effects would work in an hour long format I think that the the format of this show is perfect just just the right amount of time to tell these stories and give it enough flourish that it's really it just piques your interest but it it'll also allows them to to sort of breeze past some of the more troubling or uh, frustrating elements like the fact that the true bride does like nothing <laughs> to earn her happiness other than sit there and have a Lucky, um, a a lucky lion show up. Um, but when it's 28 minutes, you don't really notice that. And maybe that's part of why shows like, uh, like Once Upon a Time and Grimm have this, you, where you notice their overuse of effects is because you're spending more time in the world.
0: Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Well, Uh, I, I, I I think you're a little bit too hard on, on, uh, on uh, the the true bride because it's a thought line. So it comes from her. So it's basically <laughs> Tyler Durden from fight club. I think, you're, I think you're just seeing it wrong.
1: Yeah. I that could work. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I think my favorite visual motif and it, if it doesn't come up in every episode, it comes up in a whole lot of them is, and it usually corresponds to the journey is you'll see sort of the, t- a bit of the tail play out in silhouette mm-hmm. on an object like a, like a, especially like a plate or a bowl or a or a mm-hmm. mug or or a window something like that Particularly yeah, yeah. in or, the, Greek or the painting midst. in the
3: background yeah right yeah, yeah. yeah. there's something We'd... very Ralph bashky about all that stuff but I, yeah. I I really admired that yeah
2: no it's great and I did that even make that connection but as soon as you say back actually that does absolutely feel like the kind of thing mm-hmm. this is I I'm trying to think of if people different shows that that pe- people who might want to check this out, if you're somebody who likes those, those darker fairy tales, like we've been mentioning, I assume The Dark crystal and labyrinth would fall into this. I plan to see them eventually. Um, yeah. Or, but also I would say like the, the, like I just remember the Hobbit cartoon being pretty dark in places and some other, Bakshi's other work I think would fall in line with this. Are there other uh, things? Cause I, I don't know that necessarily people who, who love once upon a time might, not like this if you if like it because it's fairy tales that's one thing but this is not necessarily your family friendly viewing so
1: i i would say there's like a continuum like if if you're a parent and you're just really tired of of watching stuff with your kids that makes you want to self harm i think this is this is maybe this or labyrinth or dark crystal is a good place to start and if you're and if your kids are really kind of messed up you can just gradually get them into the hard stuff and then <laughs> If you want to just it, and th- at the very bottom, like the worst you can go, the darkest, in my opinion, is is the movie Plague Dogs, and I didn't you even just, know that I don't even know what you're talking that's, about, man. That's, obsc- <laughs> that's obscure. Google that. Google that. Plague You'll, Dogs. it. It's it's the same guys who did uh, Win in the Willows. Anyway. Mm. Oh,
3: okay, okay. So, it, is it sort of like Meet the Feebles without like like the machine guns?
1: No, it's it's about a. It's about some dogs.
3: I'll, I'll I'll let you look up the rest, but <laughs> that, that, yeah. that's, that's ominous. I mean, I think there's a very clear line though between this stuff and you know, like uh, uh, Willingham Willingham's Fables, uh, which is a comic book, and you know, there's also you know some very Neil Gaiman stuff about this as well. So I think if you're a fan of Neil Gaiman, um, and you know, I don't think it's any mistake that the the Henson Company, you know, went on to produce uh, Dave McKean and uh, Neil Gaiman's Mirror Mask, which is you know, also in this tradition. So I, I think it sort of carries on. Um And I think, you know, even people who like Coraline, because Coraline is not really for y- yeah. young kids. Or older, as you say, twisted kids. So th- <laughs> th- things like the storyteller and Coraline are a gateway drug.
1: I'm actually thinking more about twisted parents than twisted kids. Well, but, uh... well...
3: I don't think they. I don't think the kids have a chance. Is what I'm that's saying. that's
1: true. <laughs> um, and I'm also wondering because I haven't seen the series that Shelley Duvall hosted.
2: Oh, I, she, yeah, I saw those.
3: Yeah,
1: I'm wondering how that compares to this.
3: Yeah, Very d- different. <laughs> is is it lighter? Because I I saw it recommended, and I think it's also like Henson stuff.
2: Well, I it's been a while since I saw this. The, the, these were other ones that I, I saw that I guess not quite. When it aired, I got them from the library when I was young, um, so I, I guess I would have seen it in the 90s. Um, but I remember that being much more comedic and happier and definitely without the edge. But, Which I find strange
1: <laughs> because Shelley Duvall is terrifying.
2: <laughs> but those were a lot of fun too. I, re- I really enjoyed watching those when I was younger. Uh, so that's more if your kid you don't want to have to deal with nightmares, <laughs> you're worried about that. Show them the Shelley Duvall Fairy Tale Theater and then sort of transition them into the storyteller. And but I, I think there's a there's some nice comedy to that. That well, there, I mean, there it's not like there isn't comedy to the storyteller, but it's it's not that Anywhere near the same kind of level of
1: that? Look, nightmares. Nightmares build character. Okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm. am t- totally gonna. I I have four year old twins, uh, and uh, so I'm. I'm gonna remember that for later. Because the only thing that I'm sort of able to stomach with them, and I really feel your your observation about the the distance between adult entertainment and uh, at- entertainment for children. So much of it is so safe and gutted. Even you know, like the Mickey Mouse Club. Um, which is, you know, sort of like three D ish Pixar now, and it's got a theme song by They Might Be Giants. Like, there is never a villain, you know. There's no stakes. It's very mm. sort of like, you know, this this calming, you know, soma drug of a of a of a TV show. And then, you know, you wait a couple hours and you get Phineas and Ferb, which is one of my favorite things on TV. So it's 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 all I can do to just wait for another season. So I can mm-hmm. stomach watching the watching cartoons with my kid.
1: Not not to get too far off topic, but have you tried Adventure Time yet?
3: Yeah, it's a little too dark for them. It's still, <laughs> okay, still because checking. there's there's like vampires and like, you know, not just menace, but dismemberment, you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you man. can tell I don't have kids. Yes. Yes. It, it's interesting. <laughs> but but the, the dog to me and I, I don't know the the voice actor's name, but I always think like, oh, that's Bender. Because it's the same voice actor,
1: uh, John, yeah, yeah, Dimaggio,
3: DiMaggio. John Dimaggio.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 good stuff. Um, well, before before we completely wrap it up, do you guys have any final thoughts that you want to make sure to get out there about the storyteller, uh, Robert?
3: Um, just that you know, people should watch it. It is on demand now. It's on Netflix. Um, I have a DVD around here, and I, I don't even know. Um, I think I saw on Amazon that the DVD for both. Seasons was pretty expensive But um, people should absolutely Check it out and John Hurt Does not age he has always been About 55 <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally
1: or yeah even a little older
3: Yeah maybe 60
2: Simon?
1: Scare your children and build A better America
2: <laughs> um, I would say I you know, I, I, I love these stories I had so much Fun with them when I was younger Yeah, I would say if you're unsure I really enjoyed the way I was Exposed to this so being read these stories, as a child, if you're not sure if it's gonna be the right choice for your kids, maybe read the story to them, and then if they handle it well, show them the the thing. Otherwise, just pitch them in the deep end. And you don't need to have kids to enjoy these; they're they're just as much for for adults as for anyone else. So, mm-hmm. it's, especially
1: if you grew up in the 80s, I would say.
2: <laughs> yeah it, it it aged it aged well. I would say, which it, is it, it, yeah, something it really I feared. I, kept, yeah. I was fearing 80s hair and costuming, but they really, for the most part, avoided that, I would say. so.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's
2: good stuff. So, so Robert, of course, you are, your book that's out right now is The Film That Changed My Life, which is currently mm-hmm. part of... They're doing a series at the Music Box in Chicago. Um, what, what, do you know what the next one is going to be for that?
3: Um, I don't know. I mean, we've been trying forever to get um, Edgar Wright, who did Shaun of the Dead and, and uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, We're trying to get him to come. We're also thinking about maybe Guy Madden and uh, uh, possibly Kevin Smith. But, um, you know, it took me seven years to do the book. And that's mostly not because it was seven years worth of work, but it's just, you know, trying to get 30 directors to comment about anything is like, you know, herding cats. (laughs) Um, So, you know, that's why we didn't really set a strict schedule that we wanted to have for a year. So, you know, it's been... 18 months, and we've had three, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, uh, You know, I think we'll probably do one in the summer as well.
2: Cool. And where can our listeners find you online?
3: Um, Well, everywhere. Uh, Again, I'm regional (laughs) editor of Patch.com, which is sort of a a hyper-local news initiative, and we're in uh, about 60 suburbs here in Chicago and uh, 860 sites uh, nationwide. And uh, if you want to check out the book, uh, uh, the film that changed my life uh, film change. I think it's, I think it's just filmchangeMylife.com.:
2: Cool. And uh, I, I don't know if, are you in Twitter or anything like that? Or
3: I'm all over Twitter. Um, film <laughs> changes life. It's at film changes life. And then I'm also at Robert K. Elder.
2: Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show.
3: Thanks for asking. I'll come back anytime you ask.
2: Oh, oh, don't say that. Because <laughs> you, then you will be back. So. Well, well,
3: we it'll it'll give me a chance to talk about that Millennium episode that I love.
2: Oh, good times! Well, thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.